Today I finished my four-week sermon series on faith and politics. No one tried to stone me or get rid of me, so I think I have survived okay. I've been talking about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world and how there's distinction and we better know which kingdoms really ours. Um, I, I started this in the second series talking about uh, the politics of the Bible and the politics of Jesus. Last week we talked about race and in this sermon I want to uh, just just think a little bit more about how do we then start taking some of these principles towards uh, actions, towards our actual uh, positions on things. Uh, I haven't wanted to give you what to think and who to vote for. The focus has been uh, on how and ultimately a reminder to you that where, uh, to remember where your hope really comes from. Now I'm still not going to tell you who to vote for uh, but in, but I think that some of these questions have uh, have led to some practical questions, right? About how do we go into uh, moving towards policy? How do we believe these two kingdoms view actually means works out as we love our neighbor today? So today I want to talk talk about a process that we should go through, and I am going to name some specific issues uh, gently and tenderly, but uh, but I want to. To, to look at a little bit how. Okay, how should Christians vote? What should Christians think about different issues like like abortion and like how we deal with the poor? Um, but but also there, there's these issues of, you know, uh, how do I relate to the public life and how outspoken should I be? I mean, Christians are always like this. They, they, we tend to want a boundary. We tend to want the line. Tell me where the line is. Don't do this, do that. And we, we often make Christianity into that. But, but the Bible is just not like that. Jesus is just not like that. I'm really sorry, folks. But Jesus doesn't just give you a line and tell you a bunch of do's and don'ts. We want a boundary. I've used this example before. I used it in my Sermon on the Mount um, uh, sermon series right at the beginning. But Christianity is really center set. It's defined by the middle the core, the center, okay? I mean, if I, if I live on a property, I have two ways to help keep my kids safe. I can either say, hey, everybody, go, don't go past the fence. And I build a great big fence around the yard, and I say, the fence is the line, don't cross the line. Or I can tell everybody, stay close to the house. The house is the center, the house is what's meaningful. Make sure you can always see the house. Okay, the center of our faith is Jesus Christ. The heart of our faith is his saving act of coming to this earth, dying on the cross, and being resurrected. Central to that is the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming together. So supporting that center of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and the saving work of God in Jesus Christ for our lives is the Scripture. Now the Bible is not a part of the Trinity. Um, the Bible is holy not because the book itself is holy. The Bible is holy because the, uh, the work of the Godhead proclaimed there is holy. But the Bible is, is what sort of props up. It's how we know. It's how we can be secure about that story. Okay, we, So we use it as, here's the term we often use, an authority. In other words, the Christians and Jews over the generations have heard from God and trying to put those words down to the best they could in the book we have in the Bible. And so the Bible is, uh, is the legwork. It's the prop 
for the act of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so the, the holiness of the book is derivative of the one the book is about. Okay, so whatever we do, we, we then start measuring against that book and against that understanding of Jesus Christ. That's really our center. Okay, but Jesus even gave us a great way to summarize that book. Jesus was once asked what the greatest commandment in the whole Bible was. There's a ton of them. What did he say in Matthew 22, 37 through 40? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. For Jesus, all the laws of the Bible come up in this idea of loving God and loving neighbor. And so as we start this process of working our faith out into public, we got to start with this core assumption that we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love neighbor. That that is sort of the high standard that we have. Okay, that's the dominance. Or as the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay, that's what we're really about. The core of the Bible, the core of our response to Christ, is that we should love God and love neighbor. So this is the core of the Christian faith. This is the house that we've always got to kind of be sticking around. Okay. Um, rather than us give the exact boundaries of our faith, that we got to keep coming back to the center. So there's going to be certain issues where we don't all agree as Christians, but we should still be able to be together because we agree on the center. Now, unfortunately, that's not how most Christians do things. It's not how most churches work. In fact, the fact that our town has, I don't know how many Presbyterian churches, let alone Methodist, Pentecostal, Baptist, Catholic. We have all these different, like we, we just disagree and we fight and we separate. No, the center should keep us together. So, so as we start out in these political conversations, we, we get the center right so that we can disagree on a lot of other stuff. Many Christians, though, have lost this center. So when we disagree, uh, we, we have to fight. We have to win. You need a strong core, a defining center that allows you to critique your own views and disagree with other people and still be in relationship. The church needs to make Jesus the center. Otherwise, we just fight and somebody's got to lose and somebody's got to win. And in the end, in that system, no one wins. Now, outside of the center, but near the center, there are a number of other core biblical values that I think should should define us and, and our lives and, and our approach to politics. These are sort of the core principles that are extensions of uh, who Jesus is and what the Bible says, right? And, and it's these principles. These almost would be like play sets and trees in the yard and cars in the driveway that, that, that help you get your bearings when you're, when you're not going too far from the house. I, w- I want to name just a few of them and, and uh, a few that I think are real central. Number one, Christians need to care about um, creation. Okay? I, I don't know how to, to get around that. The Bible is clear that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 24. When God creates Adam and Eve, what does he tell them? He blesses them and says to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over everything that moves on the earth. Human beings were put on this earth for the purpose of being God's workforce in creation. 
And so we have to pick up trash. We've got to recycle. We've got to develop uh, and support sustainable farming. We've got to be careful with our natural resources. That, that means, right, we, we, we can disagree about pipelines, trade with Middle Eastern countries, um, uh, should we drive energy-efficient cars. Those are boundary issues. What's the core issue? The core issue we should all agree on is that our world is important and that we're to care for our world. How we do that gets further out in the discussion. Okay, here's another one. Character. The Bible puts a high view uh, value on truth, on honesty, and on integrity. James 5 tells us to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Paul sees this importance in Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in your, our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God works through the Holy Spirit to put you through things to develop your character so that your character develops your hope. So for Christianity, we need to have a high view of honesty, of moral, of character. Now, whether certain candidates are or not that, or are more or less that, outside issues. Okay, boundary issues. Yes, character is important. Service is a critical element to the Bible. Jesus doesn't just rule over his disciples with power. He washes their feet. Philippians 2, Paul says, Have this mind among you, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus, in his example here, okay, so this is part of understanding the core, is understanding uh, the, the example of Jesus. How does he do this stuff? With humility. Okay, he goes out humbly and serves and loves and cares. These are the kind of things that we should be doing. These are why we should go out and help the poor, the disabled, the orphans, the widows, the elderly, those who are struggling in, in, with with the COVID situation, those who are going through uh, times of grief. Now, how, how do you best serve those people? How do you prioritize serving those people? What about people around the globe versus, our, I mean, those are all those outside issues. That then we've got to keep working our faith into how we actually feel in particular situations. Another topic, and this one's not as popular to talk about in the church, but the Bible has a lot to say about wealth and how people relate to money. This, this could be a whole sermon. I've preached it. I'll preach many more on it because it's such an important issue. But how do you relate to wealth and your possessions? Okay, wealth and business are not the enemies of faith. I don't think that's true in the scriptures. Um, they're easy target for uh, a lot of preachers. But the reality is that God blesses some to be able to bless other people. Now, what's the danger? The danger is the mistreatment of others to get that goods or lording those goods over others who don't have them. So what would be the key word? Generosity. Generosity. As Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. We've got to be careful how we relate to our finances and, and our possessions. Um, I, now, what does that mean for how you view taxes? What does that mean for how you do a lot of things? I don't know. Those are those outside sort of boundary issues that we can debate over. Um, what matters to us is the idea of generosity. 
idea of caring for others. Issues of wealth are related to another core value. One of the, one of the critical words of the Bible that people use all the time, but, but not always with a real good understanding of it, and that's the word of justice. Justice. You hear all kinds of cries for justice right now. This is one of those words I don't use as much just because I'd have to spend so much time trying to explain to people what I mean by justice. But, but I'm going to today. Justice is when things are right with the world. Justice relates to the, to the idea of shalom, that, that life is the way it should be. It's not equality. It's not fairness. It's rightness. It's actually sometimes translated as the word righteous or righteousness. The America, uh, the, the, uh, the phrase that America has used, that I think captures this in some ways, is equal opportunity. It means that people have a chance to make what in their life they want to make out of it or they feel God calling them to do. And every person deserves that opportunity. That's justice. That's things being right. They're not being abused or held back because of the color of their skin, their belief on an issue, or where or when they were born. It means you can work hard and learn things and make a life for yourself and be rewarded for your efforts. Or you can be lazy and do nothing and you can get nothing, but it's your choice. We need to fight that everybody gets that right. I think that America has had a problem in that we have begun thinking that equality uh, is more important than equal opportunity. I think we've got to get those two sort of balanced out. One of the core and unmovable values of Scripture that is inherent in the Bible is life. In the Bible, people are made in the image of God. They're valuable not because they can offer something to society, but just because they are. Just because they are made in the image of God. And we are accountable uh, for what we do to one another. For me, the issue of abortion is a core issue, not so much a boundary issue. Now, you may not agree. We can still uh, be in connection. But I think that the unborn are to be protect protected. As Psalm 139 proclaims, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now I understand there are difficult situations where mother and baby are both at risk. But I don't think these extreme cases should determine normal procedure. Uh, I don't believe that abortion is, uh, uh, is what God intends. Uh, although, let me balance that by saying that, that I, I don't just vote uh, based on that one issue. I look at a lot of things. And, and part of my critique to a lot of people who are uh, quote-unquote pro-life is that many of them seem to be pro-unborn life. But once the life is born, they don't seem to have as much concern about that. Um, you know, is... Are we setting it up to where families have the support they need to raise children the way they need to? Um, if we do some of those things, it would help to promote life and life to the fullest, as Jesus would describe. Now, you can disagree on that issue. Um, for me, it's a little closer to the house. Maybe for you, it's not. But I don't believe we can debate about the value of life, that life is important. Uh, I'm talking about this because I, this, for me, is in that category. And I, I feel as a pastor I'm responsible to say that. You can disagree, but, but, but hear what I'm trying to get at. We are allowed to disagree on boundary issues. 
if we have a strong center, we can talk about it. We can stay close to the house. I mean, think about other issues of immigration, taxes, education, marriage. These are all things we have to prayerfully and thoughtfully consider out of this core. We need a big enough Jesus to keep us together, even if we do disagree. How do you do that? How do you take these core values and then turn them into votes and political positions? Well, let me quickly lay out how to think about these other issues. First, your overall goal in voting in your political positions uh, is to seek the welfare of the city that you live. I pick up this language from Jeremiah 29.7. It may just be a good verse to have written somewhere in your house. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare or in its welfare you will find your welfare. These instructions are given by Jeremiah to people who are in exile. They've been yanked from their families, from their homes, they're in other places. And Jeremiah says, pray and seek the welfare of the city where God's put you. So even if you're even if you're in this faraway exile place, seek the welfare. So the question when I when I go to think about voting or my own position on an issue, my first question is, what's the welfare of the city? What's going to be the best for the most people? Okay. Um, <laughs> I think you should be informed then and vote. And you go into the poll and you vote for who you think uh, <coughs> is going to seek the welfare of the city. Okay. In 2016, only less than 60% of eligible voters voted. I mean, you should go out and you should vote. But also understand voting is not the end-all, be-all of your involvement in the world. You need to be involved in issues. For example, I told you that I deeply care about abortion. I'm not sure that Roe versus Wade is ever going away or going to be reversed. But did you know that when women are asked why they had abortions, it's often because they feel like they don't have the personal support, medical services, or financial ability to take care of a child. Those are answers the church could, could have. Okay, most a lot of families uh, can't adopt because of financial concerns. This church, this country has a huge list of orphans with waiting for families. I've seen the statistics that say that if every church in America could support one family adopting one kid, it would clean up the orphan problem. Right? If if every church would support one family to adopt one kid and just pay for it and take care of them and be there for them so they had a place to be and they could afford it. If, if, if every church did that for one kid, the orphan list is gone in the United States. The other thing I think we need to say is that the Bible is very clear that we need to um, uh, submit to our governing authorities. We should pay our taxes. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay, Peter echoes this idea. 1 Peter 2. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, 
not using your freedom to cover up evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, neither Paul nor Peter are, are speaking as if every authority and every action every authority has uh, done, every policy is worthy of honor. Okay, um, had Paul and Peter been in uh, Nazi Germany, in uh, Rwanda, in a lot of different places, um, they, they would not have blankly said that you have to listen to authority all the time. But, but there is honor and respect always deserved. Okay, a submission that means you pay your taxes and you do the things that you're supposed to do and you follow the leadership. One of the greatest areas that we have as responsibility as Christians is to pray for our leaders. Okay, 1 Timothy 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Anytime I hear somebody say, well, I don't like that president, or I don't like that governor, or I don't like so-and-so, and I don't like that, I, I always, my, one of my first questions is, tell me about your prayer life for that person. Tell me about how your prayers are going for that person. Like them, not like them. I think uh, whoever is in the Oval Office uh, in a couple weeks when this election's over, um, how are you doing at praying for your country, for your government, for your authority? Don't complain if you're not going to pray. So let me address the topic of this, uh, uh, the crux of this discussion. Did you know that there's an election coming up? Some people are really, really excited about one candidate or the other. Many people seem to be hesitant about both. Some are terrified about both. I think what we all have to do, with all this background in mind, is look at each candidate as a whole. Candidate, their, their character, their platform, uh, who they said they will appoint to their government, all of these issues. And then we've got to pray for the welfare of the city. We've got to look at these two candidates we, and... and I wish, I wish that there was a third party, but there's not. I mean, we've got these two candidates, one of whom is going to win. I think i got to look at these two, and i got to weigh them out, and I've got to say, well, which one is going to do best to seek the welfare and do, do the best for the nation that I'm in? i got to think about it, pray about it. And I think I'm going to vote. Nah, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to tell you what you have to do, but... But, but here, I want to end where I keep ending these sermons. Whatever happens, don't panic. Don't freak out. Remember who your king is and what kingdom you truly belong to. You are part of God's eternal kingdom. In the Bible, God uses storms to have his will be done. He uses pagan kings to accomplish his purpose. He used a cross to give him the victory. So, so whatever happens... God's going to keep chugging along, and his will is going to keep being done. So whoever's elected, however things go, find your hope in Christ.